Hey, look, it's Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 494. As always, I'm your host, Rob Walling, and this week we catch up with Mike Tabor. He comes on the show about once every month or two and updates us on his experience and progress growing his SaaS app, bluetick.io. Two things before we dive into that conversation. The first is we released the MicroConf Video Vault, over 170 hours of talks across 194 different sessions recorded over almost a decade of events. And we had previously sold some of these and some were accessible and some were not, but we took all of them. They are in our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash microconf. We've created several playlists for some serial speakers. There's a Patio 11 playlist of his talks. There's one of mine. We have a playlist of the top five rated microconf talks of all time as well as a brand new playlist called Building Your First SaaS, The Ultimate Crash Course. It's 10 videos, and it's it's like a course where it starts at the beginning with idea validation, and it runs through most of the aspects of building and growing a SaaS. So check it out, youtube.com slash microconf. I hope you enjoy it as we're, most of us are sheltering in place. I think, you know, there's some time to fit in some good marketing and growth and idea validation and other microconf type talks amid our Netflix binging and HBO watching. Second thing is I'm trying something new this week. We have our very first sponsor and I do not plan to have ads run every week or anywhere near every week on this show, but intermittently a sponsor who's a particularly good fit, I will entertain the idea of, of having an ad on the show. So I'm proud to say that through a connection with MicroConf, Basecamp has sponsored startups for the rest of us, and they've bought a handful of ad spots that will appear in the, you know, over the many coming months. But with that, let's hear today from Basecamp. We asked founders and entrepreneurs why they switched to Basecamp when their company started to grow. Christina had just hired some more people. When it came to internal communication, everything was all over the place. There was more work and more people than before, and no way to keep track of it all. Sometimes information was in an email, sometimes in the chat room. They spent too much time on conference calls to figure out what was going on. Then one day, they almost missed a deadline for an important customer because the information was in the wrong place. She knew they needed to get organized, but all the software she looked at seemed complicated and it would take too long to train everybody. Then she found Basecamp. Basecamp puts all of your internal communication in one place so nothing slips through the cracks. And unlike other tools, Basecamp has an incredibly simple structure organized around your teams and projects. Your team will immediately understand and start using it when they see the two-minute introduction video on our site. Go to Basecamp.com to learn more and start a free trial. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Mike Tabor. Mike, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, man. Kind of sheltering in place here in uh, Minneapolis. You as well in the Boston area. Quarantine Mike here over in the Boston area. <laughs> Quarantine Mike, indeed. So you're staying safe. I mean, we haven't talked since before all the quarantine stuff happened, but really before the COVID stuff. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about it is that you know that you're mostly an introvert when the vast majority of your life simply does not change when the entire country shuts down. <laughs> right. It's like, wait, the only thing that's different is my kids are home all day. But I know. <laughs> I think you told me, you texted me and you said, I've been planning for this moment my entire life. It was it's great. <laughs> yeah. Like there's honestly, like there's not a lot in my life that has changed other than like, as you said, other than the kids being home all the time. And then like, you know, little things like you go to the store and now you wear a mask when you go to the store and like we don't order out pizza on Friday nights anymore just because everything's shut down and my wife's business is a little different but by and large like the rest of the stuff for me is not a whole lot different. 
Wait, so pizza places are shut down? Because we can get to-go food, like we pull up to the curb, we can get stuff, we can get stuff delivered, like from whatever, Bite Squad and, and Uber Eats and DoorDash and all that. Are you not able to do that? Yeah, we technically could, but like it's, I wouldn't say a, a debate in our household, but it's like, well, you know, we want to support local businesses, but at the same time, like, are they where, like, what precautions are they taking? And we don't really know. And it's just like, ah, we're trying to cut down on the amount of junk food we eat anyway, so... <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Well, cool, man. It's been uh, almost seven weeks since we last spoke. And the prior two calls to that, you know, that covered whatever, six, seven weeks each, you were upbeat, things were working, you had more than doubled revenue in that previous about four to five month span. And I'm curious, as we start off, like set the stage for us, has that revenue escalation continued? Or have you like a lot of the other SaaS apps that I'm seeing been kind of hit by the the COVID slowdown? Yeah, it has not increased at that pace. I mean, I've, I've had churns like most other small businesses have. And unfortunately, the churn that I've had has offset the gains. I mean, I have added customers and I've had people come to me and say, hey, I can't like go see people anymore or they want to be able to still stay in touch with people. And so they kind of switch over and use email. But then I've had a number of other customers that have switched and put their accounts on hold. And last year, what I'd done was I implemented this mechanism for people to put their account on hold. And instead of charging them $50 a mailbox, I would charge them 10. And what that would do is it would allow me to just keep all their data. I would still synchronize their mailboxes. They just really couldn't log in and use the app. And I've had, I think the vast majority of my churn has been in the form of downgrades to like paused accounts. So it's not that people are leaving. They're just saying, let's put things on hold until things settle down and we can come back and do this. I'm trying to remember if I've had any outright cancellations and I don't think that I have. Cool. That sounds reasonable. And that is one note. If you're listening, that's why we look at revenue churn, not customer churn. That's one of the reasons. The other reason is if you have a customer paying you 10 bucks a month and a customer paying you a thousand bucks a month, then when those customers cancel, if you look at customer churn, the numbers look the same, but the revenue churn would be vastly different. So that for those two reasons, you can look at customer churn and it's interesting, but it's not nearly as accurate, I'll say, to your business health as revenue churn is. So that, well, I mean, I'm, bum- I'm bummed to hear, I'm not surprised, you know, to hear that, you know, you're plateauing or whatever. Is that what it is? It looks like it's like just a plateau of revenue. Yeah. Like I've added customers, but it's just when I add a customer and then somebody downgrades, it's like only adding a 10th of a customer. Yeah. It's a net, a net zero or a net. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough to net zero. I mean, (laughs) but the thing is like, I haven't really lost customers. I've just lost the revenue that would have been associated with those customers. So I have had more people put them on pause than I've had added. So Right. And I would still, I mean, that's still churn, right? It's still, it's not customer churn. It is revenue churn. But again, I'm not surprised by this. Like how many people right now are doubling down on cold outreach or doing a lot of, you know, warm outreach. It's probably not as many as we're doing it two months ago, because we, as we head into a recession, people back off on things and they're getting a little more concerned about marketing approaches not working right now. And there's a lot to it. So I'm curious to see, you know, as with a bunch of businesses, I mean, so I have insight into like direct financials of, it depends on how you count it, but it's about 35, 36 companies across Tiny Seed batches and angel investments I made before Tiny Seed. And what kind of the loose pattern I'm seeing is there's about 20% of these SaaS companies are doing really poorly, like tanking because they're in an industry that is directly impacted by this, whether it be travel, senior living, you know, something like that. And then 20% 
are doing extremely well because they're for remote workers or they have to do with podcasting, you know, or they have something that a lot of people are now diving into remote communications. And then there's that 60% in the middle that is slowing down is really what it is, but they're, they're not falling off a cliff, but the growth is either not what it was or they're plateauing quickly. And I'm curious to see over the next two to three months as businesses are reopening here and around the world, you know, what happens with those, right? What that means for that 60% in the middle. And I feel like you're probably in that, in that bucket where it's a wait and see type thing. Oh, you know, over this past seven weeks since we last talked, tell me about your high point, kind of the biggest win and, and your low point, perhaps the biggest defeat. I mean, one of the things that we talked about before was there was a, a fairly large customer that I was uh, trying to get onboarded and I was trying to get them to go straight to buying Blue Tick. And then they came back and asked if they could do a pilot program. So I'm about probably two thirds to three quarters of the way through that right now. They've sent me a few questions here and there and they are testing it out. They haven't come up with anything major. Like there was, there was two requests that they had. First one was like, oh, can you add this font because our boss really likes this particular font. Like, yeah, I can do that. So that took like very little time to do. And then the other thing was they came back and asked and said the email signatures weren't showing up in the emails that they were sending, even though they had it set to the mailbox. And I'm like, oh, well, that's because you didn't add in the short code. And the reason why it's not added in automatically at the end of the email is because some people like to put a PS at the end of it. And they're like, oh my God, I really love that feature. So it's like, okay, well, you know, it's nice to be able to explain that. And then uh, I also added in another pilot program that's uh, this one's actually a paid pilot program for a small company that could be worth anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a month. So we'll see how that goes. They're paying, I think, $100 to $150 a month right now, and they're going to see how it goes. And if it goes well, then they'll scale it up for other people in their company. But they're kind of sidelined right now. They can't go out and visit customers. So that's why they're looking at BlueTech. Cool. That's exciting, man. Congratulations. How about your low point? You know, I can't point to anything where I'm like, oh, that was horrible or that was awful. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that it comes to mind as like, man, I wish that it hadn't happened or that was sucky to deal with. So I, I guess that I would take that as a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Not having a low, it's just kind of like, ah, it just was kind of going along. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, the closest I could come up with, if, if you were to like put a gun to my head, would be like when I was outside trying to do yard work and I was trying to drill out a, a rhododendron root in our, our yard. And I I have like a, a power drill and I was a little too close to the roots and it caught on something and yanked my hand around and like sliced my finger open. Like that's the worst. Oof. And it did hurt really badly for about two weeks. I'm like, I don't know if that's ever going to be the same, but it's starting to heal now. So that's a good low point. That's not a business <laughs> low, but it definitely is. A, I would qualify that in the the low category. So it sounds like, I mean, I had another question here of like, you know, you mentioned last time you had bigger prospects coming through the 500 to $1,000 a month. The one that's in the pilot was when you already had, but then you have another customer that's approached you. And I had commented like, this is a way to build a business fast, right? Is these is large customers. So I'm, I'm excited to follow that. And I will definitely follow up with you next time we chat to hear if kind of they came through. Once again, I'm going to ask you like, do you know where these people are finding you? Is it is it still word of mouth? You said it was recommendate one-on-one -on -one recommendations, word of mouth. And there was like an entrepreneur's organization, EO Facebook group. Is that the gist? Or are there other places where people are finding you? And you know why I ask these is to, because if you can figure it out, then how do you, how do you get more from there? You know? 
Yeah. So no, this one was the other prospect that I'm working on right now uh, that they're doing another paid pilot program or not another paid pilot program, but they're doing a pilot program. It's the second one. They were a referral from somebody I know who has a SaaS app and they've got a bunch of customers and their customer came to them and said, Hey, like, do you know anything that can help us out? So they essentially had pitched blue tick to their customers and we worked out an arrangement to kind of help figure out how that was going to play out. But they've got a a customer base that I could potentially pitch Bluetick to if this works out for this one customer. But we're trying to figure out how to make it work between that business and my business. And if it works out great for this customer, then maybe they've got something that they can pitch to their other customers. And if not, then, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I might be able to leverage that relationship to help build Bluetick because they do have a a customer base that could potentially use Bluetick. Yeah, that's nice. It's a good way to to keep it moving forward. Let's just, you know, I'm glad you have stuff in the pipeline still, even at times like these. Do you know why Blue Tick? Like, why are these folks coming to you and not to one of your competitors? What's the differentiation that they say, oh, this is why I need Blue Tick rather than, you know, XYZ competitor? So it's a, a few different reasons. For a couple of them, it's price, which I found odd because I looked around at the competitors that I tend to focus on are the ones that are in the 20 to $50 range. And I know that Bluetick is priced higher than those, but I have found that there are higher end competitors that are, are serving larger companies. Then they're looking at Bluetick because those vendors charge a lot more than, than Bluetick. I hadn't realized that initially, but some of their prices are, are much, much higher, like a couple hundred dollars. And they look at it from that perspective, especially if they have like 10, 15, 20 mailboxes, like they, they're not going to spend $200 mailbox for that kind of stuff. It's nice to position yourself against those folks. I remember with Drip, we were like, oh, they're comp- everyone's comparing us to MailChimp and AWeber, and they have a free plan and $15 a month and 19. And then the moment where it was like, wait, why don't we try to position ourselves against Infusionsoft, which starts at 2000 upfront and 300 a month. And we did. And we built enough features that I, I felt that we could position ourselves against it. And suddenly we were an easier to use, less expensive version of some really expensive software. You know, and Infusionsoft was the cheapest. It was like Marketo and Pardot and all these things that are thousands a month. So if, if you can tap into that, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, for others, it's word of mouth or referrals. So the person who came from the entrepreneur organization was actually recommended by somebody else who was in there. Or at least I believe that we both of us talked and we're like, you know, he thought that like he's the one who recommended it, but we're not absolutely sure. But that's that was another one. And then just general recommendations from like existing customers. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, it's good to have customers recommending you and referral carries such weight when people vouch for you. It means that they, hey, this is good software. I'm going to use it. I'm probably not going to do as much of a comparison as I would in other cases. But Well, that's why they found it. There's a difference between, I think, why they find it and why they choose it. Right. That's what I'm trying to get at because I'm concerned that if, if all of your new customers come from current referrals, that's only scales so far. And I think for now, as you're doing things that don't scale and scraping and clawing, I think it's fine. But longer term, I think in the back of my mind, it's like, how are you going to get outside? If you get outside the the bubble or the sphere of folks that know you and current customers, how do you? How can you take cold traffic and still even win those deals? That's when you can grow predictably, you know, and know that you're going to grow each month. Have you gone back at all? You know, you had your your warm email campaign that was going out to canceled customers, and you had people from LinkedIn and it was connections you had. You had run it for a while. You got so much feedback and you were only getting really not that many customers from it. So you, I believe you had turned it off last time we spoke. Is that something you've revisited? Do you plan to revisit it? Or is, this, is it just kind of done at this point? 
So I got to a point where I didn't feel like I was really learning anything from the people that I was talking to. Yep. I remember you said that. So I did. That is why I turned it off. But then with this whole COVID-19 thing, I'm just like, I would say it's not a great time. So like I've I've kind of shelled it for the time being. Will I come back to it? I could definitely see myself coming back to it once things settle down a little bit. But I just don't think that it's kind of the right time. And one of the things I found was I was spending a lot of time on the phone. So I wasn't getting nearly as much done on the other things that I wanted to move forward with. And Right now, I I wouldn't say that it's downtime, but certainly have the ability to put more time, more dedicated time into the things that need to get done. So I, I have a hard time justifying doing that now is all is what I'm saying. I just don't know if it would work that well, right? Right in this climate, because people are just holding their breath, waiting to see what's going to happen next. And the fact that, you, you know, you had said last time as well, like you just stop learning. Because at first it was like, well, you can learn and or you can try to get you know, prospects try to get sales, but the learning becomes rote after you've had 10, 20, I think you said you did 30 calls or something like that. Like it just, it gets old having the same conversation. So I get it. I mean, the other thing is like, I'd rather spend the time working with these customers who are doing the pilot programs in an effort to help make sure that that money eventually comes in than like hold all these calls where I'm not learning something. Right. Cause that's the thing. I mean, you had mentioned that the $1,200 a month, the big pilot customer that they might need the seal.net component replaced. You know, the thing you've been, we've gone back and forth on, you know, over the course of 12, that might even be 18 months now when you first brought it up. But last, last time we talked, it was kind of like, well, just leave it for now. You have the ability to roll it out to one mailbox at a time. And if somebody needs it, you'll bite the bullet, you'll write the code. But if, no, if it's not going to grow revenue, you know, if it's not holding back people from signing up, then just leave it over in the corner. Has that changed? Well, I mean, I, I did go in and I took the time to rewrite that stuff. So I've been testing, rolling it out to a couple of mailboxes and I've had somebody volunteer and say, yeah, if you want a guinea pig, I'll do it. So like I'm working on making sure that the transition from between like the old storage system and the new storage system is functional and doesn't break anything moving forward. But like that seal.net component is in the process of being ripped out and it's, I'd say it's pretty close. I'm not done yet because I still have to resynchronize data for all the existing accounts, but it's it's getting closer. That's cool. That's exciting to at least hear you have one-off accounts doing it and and kind of in a beta phase because I know that was something that was it was on your mind for a while and we talked to always talked about oh it's going to take a week or two weeks or whatever to two years. <laughs> two years. Yeah, it took some mind space for a while, so Sure. I mean, I was more concerned about the amount of data that I would have to resynchronize. And I don't know, I, I wrote this uh, script to go out and pull back the like the data and just say like, oh, how how big is this? And it was a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> There's a lot more data out there than I had expected. So last time we talked, we, you know, I've kind of for a while been saying like, what is Bluetick's positioning? You know, what what are people using it for? And you had said it was mostly warm email that originally you thought, oh, cold and warm, and then you didn't want to do cold. And But a lot of the stuff is people are using it for and getting value is mostly warm email. It's kind of moving people through a sales process, but it's there's not much prospecting going on. With that in mind, are you going to change kind of your positioning, your copy on your website to lean into that? I will. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where to start with some of it, to be honest. So it's like I've kind of pushed off on 
prioritizing that as like as the thing to sit down and dedicate time to and think about but it is something that i need to do it's like that's on my list to do i just haven't made that a priority it is something i have to do though right the priority has been sounds like onboarding and sales of large customers writing some code to keep those large customers moving through the pipeline is that pretty accurate what what else mm-hmm. what else have you have you been up to i mean if you talk about in a given week i mean honestly like that's that's 90% of it just like making sure that those things are moving forward and that existing customers have what they need there some people are like moving stuff around inside of zapier or they have a problem cuz like oh i've got a couple hundred email sequences in here I'm having issues with this piece or that piece. Like, what do I do? Can you implement a different search mechanism in here? Because the current one just simply doesn't scale for the the data that I have. Yeah. So it sounds like support plus plus. Yeah, I would say so. And also thinking about like how the application itself is going to scale out when somebody has 20 or 50 or 100 different users under the same account. Because right now it's the way it's designed and set up is like you have a, a subscription and there's an account associated with it. So your subscription is really just the billing information. And then underneath it, you can have all these different accounts. And that's the way it was designed initially, but it was never implemented in such a way that you could have multiple users in those accounts and also have them in other accounts outside of your subscription. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's it's hard to describe, but like the, the backend storage system was not written to support that. Like the database and stuff was all designed properly, but like there are certain things that I guess I just didn't think about at the time or just hacked them together and just threw it out there. And now I'm in the middle of saying, okay, well, how do I get these larger customers on? And I'm realizing like there's certain ways that the data is stored that it fundamentally would break if I were to have like multiple accounts for each of those. So it's like they have 50 sales reps and each of them has their own account that breaks. It just doesn't work. So yeah. And that's not something, I mean, I, man, I've built so many things like that where you're trying to get it out the door as an MVP or something that people can use in production. And you're not, you don't want to gold plate that from the start. So that's something that I would absolutely imagine needing to rework there's going to be code to rewrite. There's going to be database instances to upgrade. There's going to be failovers and redundancy with stuff to add. I mean, there's that's a thing that I don't think if, you, if you've ever built or, or hosted a SaaS app that does start to scale at you know at a certain level, it or you just start getting some larger customers. Even if your use case to date has been one to four person teams, and then you get somebody with fifty or a hundred, fifty or a hundred people in there, it's it's bound to break something. So obviously, it's a bummer to hear that you have to get in the code and constantly do that. But I'm I honestly like I'm pretty close to having those things dealt with as well. Most of it, I like and actually the, the code is deployed to the point where new users are using the new storage system. So they presumably would not have this problem. It's the current existing users where I have to migrate their data and verify that everything's going to move over properly. And then there's a few switches I have to toggle in order to pull the lever to make sure that or to have everybody move over to the new storage system. It's just, I'm kind of doing it slowly because I don't want to break things for existing customers. Like with new customers, if something's broken, I'm not as worried about it because their business is not dependent on it yet. Whereas old customers, like I know that they're using it and I, I don't want to break stuff for them. Yeah. And that's the balance, right? That's the dance of launching an app, having users and then needing to, I was going to say having everything's great until pesky customers get involved, but uh, you could feel me, huh? You knew I, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going there. <laughs> but, but yeah. And then you're trying to, 
you're trying to keep the train going while you're changing one of the axles, right? I mean, that's essentially what it what it winds up being. And in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. Cool. So back to positioning marketing. It hasn't been top of your list. I mean, again, I don't... It's like we're in the middle of this global chaos. I'm guessing your traffic's not way high and people aren't coming and leaving because you don't have the exact right positioning on the homepage, you know? So it's like, to me, this is something you want to do in the next couple months, if you do realize that there is a value prop here that really no other tool offers and that these big customers, that's really what they want. It's not a cold, warm email tool, but it's a an email tool to move people through a sales process. Like that's pretty interesting positioning because then, and then all the features on that homepage are, what are the actual features that do that, that the other tools that, that call themselves cold slash warm email, that they don't do. And you do have those, right? You have those features because you've built it to check every 10 minutes. You've built it to, I don't remember, it looks in people's trash folder. There was a bunch of stuff that you rattled off a couple episodes ago. Everyone knows I don't I don't listen when you talk. So, um, <laughs> no, it's just been three Are months. Are we married? So, yeah, so exactly. Much <laughs> exactly. No, but it's, you do have differentiators and I've been trying to, find out, you know, if you just throw a bunch of differentiator, these are our differences, then it feels like a feature race or a feature competition. But if you start at the top and you're like, this is our H1, you know, this is our positioning and and why we're different than everyone in, in a headline. We move warm prospects through a sales process or whatever, and then follow up with the actual features Then it. It feels more like, ah, this is similar to XYZ cold competitor, but these folks are just, you know, one step in to the process. And and if they're designed for that and I need that, then it's it becomes a no-brainer. So that that's all I'm thinking is it should probably change at some point. But again, yep. probably doesn't need to happen in the next week or two. How about the podcast tour? You had scaled that back because you were had some emails sending out of Blue Tick. You had scaled it, but you you did it a little bit, then you scaled it back because you got busy with sales and, and some development. Then you had ramped it back up. What's the status of that been? I scaled it back down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more because of time than anything else. I've more or less just gotten distracted with some other stuff. Like I've still got the email campaign set up that I could go out and kick those off again. I just haven't done it. Well, it's also, I mean, I know I, I'm starting to sound like a brokered record, but it's like, this is a time during this, the pandemic and the sheltering in place and the potential of on the precipice of a recession is like, I think it's it's great to to really handhold prospects as they come in. I think it's, time to refactor code. It's time to rewrite email sequences. It's, it's time to do some things. I, I'm not sure that right now is the best time to be reaching out to do a bunch of stuff. Now, maybe go podcasts are probably an exception, right? Because people really, there are a lot of podcasts being recorded, a lot of content being put out. But if it comes down to that balance of, you know, I can onboard expensive customers or I can be out kind of marketing myself on, on a podcast, maybe better to do in a month or two. Yeah. Like we've gone through a bunch of stuff where it's just, you know, the way I look at it is I'm prioritizing trying to land those large customers over trying to do go out and do outreach and outbound marketing activities and things where it could lead to new customers, but I don't necessarily know if it will. But if I don't buckle down and land the, the customers that are currently in the pipeline, then I'm not going to learn anything about that process, nor am I going to be able to put myself in a position where I can add more customers like that because I've learned what the problems are with the software, where it breaks down and where it doesn't do the things that those larger types of organizations need. And then I'm back at square one where I'm just going after those small customers that are only like one or two people. And I don't think that that's doing me any favors. I really think that I need to 
learn the stuff about those large customers because if I can land more of them, it's exponentially more profitable to land those types of customers than it is to go out and do a podcast tour for money which may or may not ever show up in the future. I hear you and I agree with that. I do have a concern longer term that if you're just getting one or two prospects trickling in each month that you're working with, you need to turn that into something sustainable. And that has to be, it's lead gen, right? It's demand gen. And whether that's through just marketing, doing podcast tours, whether it's through the warm email outreach, whether it's through all the other things we could rattle off, you know, SEO and content marketing and ads and blah, 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 which you don't want to get into right now. But I do think that the podcast tour is something you already have set up and could hit go on or probably earlier than I think you want to, because that's going to take time to, to kick up. It's going to take days or weeks for someone to get back to you and then to book it and then for it to appear. If you push play on that in 90 days, maybe start getting appearances after 100 days and 120 and 150 days. And it just takes it takes a long time. So I, again, I'd never thought the podcast tour was the end all be all and going to be your big lead gen. But if you're able to land larger customers, then you don't need that many. And podcasts are easy for you. Right. They just, it doesn't take a lot of time, assuming that the email sequence is totally automated. So, in your shoes, I would not be sending them right now, I think, because of, of the situ- current situation. But I think if, if we get back to our old normal, or at least not back to, but start approaching that old normal of the pre corona and things start opening up and people start feeling a little normal, I would, I would hit start on that. The interesting thing is, is it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of landing some of these big accounts. You know, you had landed that $500 a month client who then upgraded to an annual plan. You have one or two pilots going on in essence right now, or one about to start and one going on with, yeah, it's a lot of revenue in terms of the state or the the phase that the blue ticks at. So just getting a few more prospects into that pipeline, I think could could really continue to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. When we last spoke, I asked you, what are you most looking forward to over the next month? And you said two things. The first was to have all the IMAP stuff fixed. There was an issue with IMAP. Second is you were in the process of onboarding the $1,200 a month customer. And you were looking between our next call, you were hoping that that, that would be there. Obviously, they're in a pilot now. And I'm going to assume one of the things you're looking forward to is them actually, you know, you're in the same boat with them, right? But talk to me about the, the IMAP. Well, I actually to step back for that, like I had wanted to get them onboarded as a customer. And what I think that I learned in going through that process was they said, well, can we do an unpaid pilot? They wanted to do like they went on an extended trial, which is basically four weeks instead of two weeks. And I said, yeah, just because of the you know size of it, which totally makes sense. And what I learned was like, oh, if they're switching from a competitor to use blue tick instead, then chances are good. They're not just going to jump in and get married to the product immediately and try switching everything over. I mean, I put together a proposal for them and I said, look, I won't charge you for four weeks. It was so we can get you everybody moved over while you're doing this. And that way you're not paying for two products at the same time. And I said that this whole like big proposal and they looked at it, they thought it was great. And they just, they said, we'd like to do a pilot first. And in retrospect, it's like, it's obvious that yeah, that's the next step. But before that, my mind was, I can get if I can get them onboarded as a paid customer, that'd be great. And I'll have the revenue in about a month. But that just, you know, obviously, like that didn't happen. And what I learned from that is like, for these larger customers, they're gonna want to do a pilot first. So I think that that's I still consider that a win, because it's still it's still moving forward. They didn't walk away. They didn't decide to go do something else or say, no, this isn't going to work for us. It moved forward, just not to the level I realized because I didn't think about hard enough about knowing that there were extra steps in the middle there that were going to need to be taken. 
sure. It's a win for a couple. I wouldn't say a full win, but it's it's an in-process potential win. But yeah, it's a win in the sense that they haven't canceled and backed out. And it's a plus because you learn something, right? You learn that you should probably propose a pilot from here on out with these larger customers. Obviously, you should pitch to pay and sign up. But they're, if they balk or if they're like, well, we got to think about it, then, you know, that next thing, the objection, the anti-objection is like, well, hey, why don't you do, we do a pilot, we'll set it up for this much time. I mean, you now have that playbook down, right? So cool. That sounds good. How about the IMAP stuff? Well, as I said, like the IMAP stuff is fixed and deployed and it's just not working for, it's not enabled for the current customer base. Like there's a couple of accounts that it, that it is enabled for the other ones that is not, but any, anyone who adds a new mailbox, I believe as of now, actually it was like a, a week or two ago, anyone who adds it at that point uses all of the new stuff as opposed to the old stuff. So I've mostly ripped that stuff out and it's just a matter of like, it's cleanup activity, to be honest. It's converting all of the existing customers over onto that new mechanism. And then I can rip out all that extra code because I, I basically have duplicated code because it's like, oh, you're using storage version four. You're a quote unquote legacy customer. You're using this stuff and go through this pathway. And if you're version five, you use this one. And then once, once I get everybody moved over, I can rip out all that old version code. That's the best feeling, ripping out like five or 10,000 <laughs> lines of code. Oh my gosh. It is like spring cleaning your house or something. Yep, yep. Actually, not spring cleaning your house, having someone else spring clean your house. That's <laughs> more what it's like. So then talk to me about this. From now, looking forward, what are you most looking forward to? And I'm going to put one on the list. It's to land this $1,200 a month prospect. Do you have any anything else? I would say land the other prospect and have them go from a, mm. so they're doing a small pilot with about, I forget how many people, it was like 10 to 15 people, something like that. And then if they scale it up, it could be anywhere between like 50 and 100 people that they add. So we'll see how it goes. I want to find out more about what those people are using it for. It was interesting because when I was talking to them, like they're currently using MailChimp which <laughs> such a different tool it is and honestly like if i were to explain all the details of what they're doing and how they're doing it you'd look at them and say like you're kind of crazy to be using mailchimp in that way like you wouldn't use drip for that either like it's just not built for what it is that they are trying to do but they're using it for that because somebody found it and they decided to use it so yeah like that's the learning more about their situation and seeing if there are other companies that are potentially like them in that similar situation would be great. But I really want to get through the process of selling blue tick to those people. And if I could land them as a customer too, like that would be fantastic. Gotta be honest, man. It's so fun to hear you like in full sales form, <laughs> like just, just building the stuff getting them in the in the pipeline, getting them into pilots, having these big deals come through. It's it's just such a stark contrast to where you and the business were 8, 10, 12 months ago. So, it's cool. And I know that, you know, percentages of prospects that you're able to land are are not 100%, and so I would expect that you'd land one out of these two. I would be super overjoyed for you if you land both of them. But I'm also looking, you know, when we catch up again in in a month or two to hear about how this all plays out. Yeah. I, I mean, I would consider it a win if I landed one of these two. Mm -hmm. Very cool, man. Well, we're going to wrap for the day. If folks want to keep up with you, are, have you been on Twitter at all? No. <laughs> okay. So so we don't, won't do at single founder. So bluetick.io, folks want to see what's going on and check out the app if they haven't seen it since last episode. I don't know. 
I'm just in the habit of when I'm talking to people at the end of an episode, I say, I say their website and their Twitter handle. So anyways, man, thanks for coming on. I think hopefully the listeners are enjoying the ongoing story and I'll catch up with you again in a bit. All right. Sounds good. Take it easy. Talk to you soon. As always, thanks to Mike for coming on the show every once in a while and updating us on his story. If you're listening, but you're not subscribed to the show, you should head into your podcatcher search for startups. We're usually in the top three or four. And we do have full transcripts of each episode that we put on startupswiththerestofus.com. As always, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.